This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, February 26th, 2017. Rumble Strips, Needs and Desires. As we finish our series, Rumble Strips. Good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. It's a day that is a gift. It's a gift that we woke up. It's a gift that we could get here. It's all your good gift to us. So we thank you. Settle us in that we might hear your word, connect to the scripture, and be changed and transformed by it. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. So rumble strips. I don't know about you, but I am so much more aware of rumble strips along the road. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, last week we said that rumble strips on the roadways help keep us alert and help us avoid collisions, unlike guardrails that protect us. When we hit a guardrail, we do damage. But these uh, rumble strips are like good warnings. And so we're using this idea of rumble strips to alert us for dangers in our personal lives. Uh, Things that we need to be aware of before we get hurt, before they do damage to us or to others. Mm. So we need some rumble strips in place when it comes to needs and desires. Rumble strips to protect us from ourselves. You know, Abu could have used some rumble strips in that, in that clip there because he went over the line. He, he, he went over the guard. He went over the edge, I think, there. He, he, he went even past the guardrail. Rumble strips to help us, to protect us when our desires are once overwhelmed and, and misdirect our thinking. We live in a culture that is absolutely designed for us to want more and more and more. It's the way our economy is based. It's the way our economy is structured and wired. Now, here's an example that takes us back to 1924. In the United States, the automobile market had become saturated. And in order to stimulate sales, the head of General Motors, Alfred Sloan, suggested an annual model year design change to convince the buyer that every year you need a new car. Every year you need to get the the best thing out there. And he, um, critics called this planned obsolescence. Now Sloan referred to the term instead of dynamic. He's called it dynamic obsolescence. Either way it worked because in just seven years GM sales skyrocketed And Ford sales, Henry Ford didn't want to change, and so his sales flattened out. Mm. And so this phrase, planned obsolescence, was then later used by American industrial designer Brooks Stevens at an advertising conference in 1954, and it became his catchphrase from that point on. He defined it as instilling in the buyer the desire to own something a little newer, a little better, a little sooner than is necessary. Two key words in that statement, desire and necessary. 
See, those are the keys to our rumble strips this morning. What we desire versus what is necessary or what we need. And here's the thing. Nobody is forcing us to desire to have more. No one is making that happen in our lives. It's part of our fallen human nature. We tend to not be satisfied with what we have. We tend to have this, this void where we look around and we see what other people have, and we want that, and we want more. God knew about that way, way, way from the beginning. In fact, made uh, the 10th commandment to address this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so covet means to yearn to possess or have. Obviously, this is a problem for people. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made it into the top ten. And in the case of this commandment, it's not just wanting something, but wanting something that is someone else's. So we have a combination of desire combined with jealousy that's because it's something someone else has that I don't and I want. So check this out. This is in the book of James in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. James was the brother of Jesus. So I'm reading James 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. That's the key there, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so James is reiterating here what Jesus has said, that we have not because we ask not. But here James shares that not only have we have to ask, but that we must ask with right motives. Does that mean that in our asking we need to look beyond ourselves? Whoa. Look beyond our own personal pleasures. Look beyond our own personal, possibly even needs. Look beyond our self-centered motives. Sounds like we just kind of ran over a rumble strip, doesn't it? Yeah. So in his book, Soul Keeping, and we recommend this 100%. Is anybody else familiar with Soul Keeping? It is, anyway, write it down, really good. John Ortberg is a pastor, obviously an author and teacher, and he shares a story in this book about one of his college professors. The professor um, shared one day that he, uh, as he walked to work each day, he walked by such a beautiful sign that his neighbor had put up, and inside of his head, this little voice within said, I'm actually looking forward to walking by this sign each day. And he just felt it gave him so much pleasure as he walked by on his way to work. Until one day, the strangest thing happened. Instead, the little voice in his head this time said, why should your neighbor have a sign as beautiful as this and not you? How much joy would a sign like this give you if you had it in your possession? 
something such beauty that the whole neighborhood would be able to see that it belongs to you. You ought to have this. You must have it. And so from that point on, rather than bringing joy, the sign was a reminder of what he didn't have, of what he might never have, of what he wanted, of what he desired. Unable to afford such a sign himself, his walks past the sign now resulted in feelings of resentment rather than joy until one day he heard another voice. His head, it's busy inside that head of his, isn't it? Heard another voice inside his head, a, a voice not his own. Ah, maybe the voice of God. And the voice said to him, couldn't you enjoy the sign without owning it? Couldn't you be happy for the guy who does own it? Could you admire it without torturing yourself over how to possess it? And here's the key. The voice said, you know, you can admire without having to acquire. Say it with me. You can, can admire, admire without, without having, having to, to acquire. acquire. Yeah. Orper goes on to share that even the biblical writers, the writers write about the soul and they say that our soul is never satisfied. We read that in Psalms a lot. You know, my soul yearns for you as a deer pants by the water. There's psalm after psalm constantly yearning and yearning and yearning for something. Now, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh, having a longing or wanting that nothing earthly can fill. Isn't that an interesting definition? having a longing or wanting that nothing earthly can fill. But that's the way God's wired us, to have a soul that nothing earthly can fill that, that spot. We frequently find in the Bible about the soul being hungry or thirsty or hollow or empty, not satisfied. Orberg writes this. He writes, when the will has become enslaved by its need, when the mind has become obsessed with the object of its desire, when the appetite of the big body has become master rather than servant, the soul is disordered. The ultimate reality behind human dissatisfaction is sinful souls that have been cut off from the God we were made to rest in. That's why we're dissatisfied. Do you hear a rumble strip there? Dissatisfaction. It happens when our sinful souls are cut off from the God that we were made to rest in. So check this out. Orberg goes on to share about a study that was done by the University of Chicago Research Group that listed the 10 least happy jobs in the world and the 10 happiest jobs in the world. Now, that they found that the 10 least happy jobs were more financially lucrative and offered a higher status than the 10 happiest jobs. So what is the difference? Here it is. The people in the happiest jobs had a higher sense of meaning. There was a higher sense of purpose in what they did. Less money, less status, but a higher sense of meaning. So there's good news for us. Good news. And you know what? Even if you're in a job that you're just not liking, I'm sure that there are people around you. Maybe God has put you in that spot to be a light 
in an otherwise hostile environment. So embrace that and make a difference. But the main thing we bring home from this study is, is not uh, that we can be happier with a higher paycheck and, and status, but when we have a job that gives us purpose and meaning, that's really what it's all about. Here's what Ortberg writes. He says, the main thing you bring home from work is your soul. Work is a soul function. We're, we're made to create value. The writer of Ecclesiastes, that's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible, the writer of that book says this, there is nothing better for a person than that he should make his soul enjoy good in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Although material things do bring us uh, a lot of pleasure, I get a lot of pleasure out of seeing my baby grand piano sitting there in, in our little living room. That is really not my true happiness. Material stuff just isn't it. We think it is. But our joy comes from God. Our satisfaction comes from God. There's this longing, and we try to fill it with everything else, but it's God and God alone. We try to fill it with uh, positions and possessions and vocations and vacations, painkillers, parties, all kinds of toys, all kinds of little trysts. The only thing, the only thing that brings us true satisfaction and fills that God-shaped hole in our heart is a connection with God. Without that, we are lost. We tr don't have true joy. And so how do we do that? It's through the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So back when we were in Seaford, we outgrew, the four of us outgrew, uh, or actually it was the three of us at the time, outgrew our house. And we bought a lot, and it happened to be next to a builder, and so we were get, able to get a very good price on a house. We, uh, it was a house big enough for what turned out to be the six of us, plenty of room. It was a really nice house. And it was interesting, though, a friend, uh, still a friend today at the housewoman party we had said, I think this house is really going to make you happy. I thought at the time that that was strange. And, 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 and I thought, I don't, I don't think a house can make you happy, and I, and I was right. We were very happy there, but it wasn't the house that did it, even though it was a very comfortable and a beautiful house. What made us happy was our family, our friends, and you know, we were in the house, our friends came over, visiting the house, but it was especially our growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Like I said, it was a great house and plenty of room, and we have wonderful memories from it, but the memories aren't necessarily the house itself, but what went on in the house. Relationships with our kids, with uh, our friends, and, you know, it's when we start thinking that a house or anything else material, a piano, a, a car, brand. whatever, that they'll bring us happiness, and, and once that happens, we've definitely hit a rumble strip. True happiness, true joy seems to not uh, come from always wanting more, but it actually seems to come from being thankful for what we already have, for being grateful 
for the blessings that God has already given us. It's having this attitude of gratitude. One of the exercises in this book um, is to write a gratitude list. And Ortberg suggests write five in the morning, five in the afternoon, and five at night. And I thought, oh my goodness, stopping three times to do that. But I tried it yesterday. It was so cool. I sat down, you know, with my coffee because it was a slower morning, and I wrote five, and then I had my alarm set, and at 3 o'clock I wrote five more, and last night I wrote five more. And this morning I got into work early, and I'm like, okay, I've got to write my five down. But it just gave me a lift as I was thinking about what I was grateful for. Like I was coming down 299, and I saw a flag flying, and I thought, I am so grateful for freedom that we that we can vote. I am so grateful, you know, for uh, the geese that I heard going by yesterday, the little things. And so the challenge is for seven days, Alan, I'm going to write 15 gratitudes. None of them can be the same, so you only get one. A day? One a day? <laughs> But that means how many? 105. 105 gratitudes. To the week. I figured it up for it, a service. It was it a little quicker. Just, I don't know. Give it a try. It just changes the way you think. An attitude of gratitude. The Apostle Paul shares about this in his letter to the church at Colossae. He writes this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. And mm. another letter, this one to the church at uh, Thessalonia, Paul encourages the people to do this, and please say it with me. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you find that you have trouble being thankful, if you find that you have trouble being grateful, even in the midst of some challenges, that's a rumble strip. That's a rumble strip in your life. And we would encourage you to pay attention. Something's going on. And don't think it was just going to be, it's just going to change simply by getting more stuff. It's not going to change the rumble strip. Make we, it worse. We've been saying for the last two weeks that Satan's only desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's one goal. So as we shared at the beginning of this message, the story of the professor and the sign, Satan uses earthly desires to separate us from God. Satan can use really good things and then plants this stuff so it becomes a barrier, a separation from the only one who can truly meet our ultimate need. We cannot, that, that dissolves a stomp clap, Alan, we cannot let Satan do that. No way. Pay attention to the rumble strips. The rumble strip of the desire for things that others have and that you don't have. The rumble strip of, of never being satisfied with what you do have and where you are in life. The rumble strip of ingratitude. When we have that ingratitude, everything is out of whack being not thankful, ingrateful for the gifts that God gives each one of us every single day. As Ortberg shares, 
in the book, more gratitude will not come from acquiring more things or experiences, but from more of an awareness of God's presence and God's goodness. It's a way of looking at life, always perceiving the good. Gratitude is a byproduct, byproduct of a way of seeing things, and it always involves three factors. The language is a little unusual, so you will just have to bear with it. It comes from the old Latin word beni, which means good, and gratitude will always involve three bennies. So let's take a look at the three bennies. The first benny is benefit, benefit, recognizing and receiving the good in something. The second benny is benefactor, benny means good. Factor is a producer, like a factory produces something. A benefactor produces good. Our benefactor is God, absolutely. God produces the good that we receive. We don't produce it. Oh, we think we do, but we do not produce it. God is the producer, the creator of everything. And we can take something and make it beautiful and, and create, but it's God's, you know, God started it all. It all comes from God. Again, in the Bible, James shares this with us. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And so the three bennies, benefit, benefactor, and the last is beneficiary. The one who receives the gifts from God, and that's you. That's me. We are the benefact, we're the beneficiaries of the lavish gifts that God just dumps on us every single day. John Ortberg writes this, you are the beneficiary of the benefits of a God who has your best interests at heart. And this is going on all the time. That's those blessings that just go on and we don't even recognize them. When we take that for granted or believe we deserve his gifts, then we are no longer grateful. You can't be grateful for something you believe you are entitled to. And without a grateful heart, the soul suffers because the soul needs gratitude. And so the greatest gift God gives us is his son, Jesus Christ. Please share this with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God is the benefactor and we are the beneficiaries. Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one who can fill that hole in our soul. And then the Holy Spirit takes that and brings about transformation, brings about new life. The old is gone, the new has come. Isn't that cool? Oh my goodness. It's through transformation that we are made fully aware of God's presence. It's through that transformation in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that we realize God's goodness all around us, even when things are going crazy. God is still good. 
God isn't just good in the good times. God is good in the bad times, especially when I recognize when I'm in a mess time. God is so good because that's just God's mercy and God's grace. We have a desperate need for God and God alone. And God is there. We are the beneficiary. And it is when we recognize that our only true need is Jesus. It is then that we can focus on others and not yearn for stuff and become very selfish and self-centered. It is when we recognize God's power in our life and the benefits that God gives us that we can be happy for other people who have things. We can, you know, be used by God to be uh, change makers and to bless other people. It's then that we realize that when we receive God's gifts, the one that he's given, and here's the main gift, the main gift, Jesus Christ, who went the distance for you, went the distance for me, so that we could have joy when there's chaos, so that we could have peace in all circumstances, so we can receive healing when things are way, way messed up, and we can be forgiven. And here's the best thing, we receive eternal life here on earth, it doesn't start when we go to heaven, it starts right now. Our eternity with God starts right now. Eternal life, the greatest gift, and it's only through accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, accepting that relationship that is a gift. Mm. You know, it's a funny thing about gifts, <laughs> the way they're structured. I know sometimes we say, well, I did something or whatever, and I'm going to give myself the gift. But the truth is, it's not really a gift if we give it to ourselves, is it? No. Because a true gift, you can't buy a gift. And most gifts we really truly don't deserve if it's really a gift. And, uh, you know, the, the only thing we can really do with a gift is receive it, right? If it's for us, we can give it. And if we give somebody a gift, the only thing they can do is receive it. They don't earn it. They don't deserve it usually. And they certainly didn't buy it. Otherwise, it's not a gift. But here's the thing. If, if you give somebody a gift and they say, no, thank you, did they benefit from the gift? Well, duh. Of course not. In fact, there's no gift at all if they don't receive it. You have to be able to say, to receive it and say, thank you for it to truly have any value. The same thing with uh, Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We certainly can't afford it. And so all we can do is receive it. We have to receive it with open hands. And if we don't receive it, if we say no, then it's no gift at all, is it? It's no gift at all. And so maybe some of you are here sitting today saying no. Maybe you've been saying no. Maybe you've been coming and saying, That's, I like church, but I'm just going to say No. Well, the gift of salvation that Jesus offers ain't no gift at all at this point because it hasn't been received. I strongly encourage you today, stop saying no. You don't even have to say it. Just stop saying no and allow yourself to possibly say, you know, from what I hear, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I can't save myself. Amen. We can't save ourselves. But from what I hear, there is one who can save me, and his name is 
Jesus. I'm a sinner in need of Savior. I can't save myself, but there's one who can, and his name is Jesus. I'm going to stop saying no, and I'm going to say, here I am, Lord. I don't know the whole story. Of course, I don't think any of us does. I don't know the whole story, but I'm willing to take a first step. I'm willing to say, here I am. I need you in my life because I need a Savior, and from what I understand, you're him. This would be a great day for that. You can, you can do that prayer right in your seat. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. Come into my life. You can do that right in your seat. You can do it right now. If you close your eyes and do it right now, I won't be offended. <laughs> you can come up here on the steps during the final song. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself, Lord. I need you to come into my life. Jesus Christ, please come into my life. I'm going to stop saying no. And go back to the prayer corner. Put your hands up in the prayer corner. They would love to pray with you and talk you through that. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself. Now, some of you have already said that. Some of you stopped saying no. You're, you've received Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me encourage you this. You know, it never hurts to, to do it again. Say, Lord, I, I still need you. <laughs> I'm a sinner. I'm still in need of a Savior, and you're it. And with a focus on what we talked about today, Lord, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I do covet some things. Maybe it's not a sign in somebody's yard. Maybe it's a car in their driveway. Maybe it's a house down the street. Maybe, maybe it's that uh, piano. Or maybe it's, I don't know, what, maybe it's just a, a job, a life, whatever it is. Lord, please forgive me. Jesus, thank you for being in my life, but I got to confess, I've been, been less than thankful. I've been less than grateful. Please forgive me. And once again, come into my life. What a great day to just open ourselves up to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You know, it's that rumble strip, need versus desire. You know, all too often we desire the earthly things, the things around us, the stuff. But we really truly only have one need, don't we? That one need, and that's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have that need because that's the only thing that can fill that God-shaped hole in our soul, that personal relationship with Jesus. That's the good news. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's believe it, let's live it, and let's pray. Holy God, <laughs> yeah, we got these rumble strips. You can hear them, and, uh, you know, and one of it's the desires for earthly stuff. Please help us to, to, to recognize that our, our only true need is you, your son Jesus Christ, and his power to forgive and save us from our sin. I thank you that he, he basically took our sin to hell so that we don't have to go. And we can spend eternity with you, Lord. I pray that each one here will know you through your son Jesus Christ, that each one will, will say, here I am, Lord enter my life, be a part of my life. I need that personal relationship. I, I pray that each one here will find some change and transformation today, Lord. We celebrate you. We glorify your holy name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Everybody here at Connection this morning said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting.